Want to advertise your business in a cost-effective way? It's time to give podcast advertising a try. Research shows a high rate of podcast listeners made a purchase as a result of an ad they heard on a podcast. Visit podbean.com slash brands to launch a cost-effective podcast advertising campaign in minutes. That's P-O-D-B-E-A-N dot com slash brands. Welcome to Yolitics, the home of cold beer and hot takes on Texas politics. Oh boy, what did you just crack open there? Who's starting this podcast? Uh, I thought that you were having whiskey today. I thought it was that kind of week. Dude, it is that kind of week for everybody. I don't think you should, uh, just because I've seen how much you've been working this week, and uh, I don't know about you, but something like that'll do With me anyway, that'll knock me down. If I'm tired, <laughs> one little shot of something, and it's like, man, cheap date. Yeah, right? Or maybe provide some clarity. Who knows? You know, I could use a little clarity these days. I think right. we could all use a little clarity these days. Uh, what are you drinking I'm, there? I'm having a uh, Texas lager from Community. Uh, beer company. Community's in Dallas, right? I believe it yeah, is. Yeah, Community's in Dallas right off of uh, 35. They're, um, Hold that up, would you? Because yeah. we're on Zoom here. I want to see what it looks like. Look at that. Uh, Jason. Uh, but here, this is the best thing I like here. Where is it? 98 calories. I'm about to go wow. do a bike ride after this, so I, oh. I'm, I'm going to burn those off hopefully in the first 10 minutes. I didn't. In the first two hours, it's going to be a slow bike ride. Uh, great minds think alike. Look at that. I have a community beer today, too. Wow. And community's not even sponsoring our program today. What do you we need to, we we need need to squeeze calls, them huh? for a few dollars? Right. My goodness. I'm having the Citra Slice India Pale Ale. And um, mine doesn't say how many calories are in it, but I bet it's more than 98. I would Whatever. bet so. You like the exotic beers, Jason. I'm more of a simple man. So, uh, Are you Are you a simple man? Uh, much more simple than you might think, my friend. <laughs> So, um, I, you know, I, I, I'll ask this. I think I asked this maybe the last time or the time before that. How are you doing uh, out there in, in, in Texas, especially, in the country? And we know that people listen all over the country, all over the world. How are you doing out there? And, and where was uh, Kazakhstan? I mean, we have people listening all over the place, according to the map that the podcast uh, platform produces. And I know that people all around the world are watching what is going on with the election here in this country uh, as we are still here in election week. It's not election day, it's election week. We knew this was coming, Jason. There, there's been so much heated rhetoric uh, about the count right now. This has been talked about for months, though. Everybody knew that the counting was going to take a long time. We worried it could happen. I was secretly hoping that it might not happen and there might be a landslide by one of the candidates on election day. But of course, that did not happen. Speaking of around the world. Even if there had been, even if there had been, we knew that the count, though, the final count in some of these states was going to take days and maybe longer than days. We knew that. And and you know what? The the memes that are coming out of Nevada, of all places. I got a couple of buddies live in Nevada, a few people who used to live in Nevada, and and they are hilarious. The, The sloth, have you seen the one with the sloth? I'm, I'm looking at it right now. Yeah. Uh, our producer, uh, Taylor, uh, is sharing it on the screen. That is hilarious. I, don't, I can't remember what movie that's from, but the sloth was like, one, two. <laughs> and another good one I found, too, and I'll get off the whole meme thing because I enjoy memes. No, I love memes. I'm a meme kind of guy. It's the only reason to be on social media these days. This is the other one. It says, uh, 
America said, hey, are you coming, Nevada? Nevada said, who all's there? <laughs> That's good. Man. There's going to be more of those, too, because this is, it is, it is a slow process. Okay. It's dragging on, but we knew that was going to happen. Slow process on the national level, but there is a heck of a lot to talk about when it comes, when it comes to Texas. And, you know, looking up to all this, if you go back and rewind and replay some of our podcasts, you heard uh, a lot of talk from Republicans and Democrats saying that uh, Republicans were concerned that a Democratic blue wave might be coming. And Democrats were saying, hey, we're coming. We, mm-hmm. we, we've seen the uh, we've seen what the polls are saying. We've seen the momentum out there and, and we're, uh, we're we're coming for you. But in reality, on election night, that didn't happen. No. If, now, here, here's the thing. Let me couch it like this. Democrats didn't gain anything, but they didn't lose anything either. So the question yeah. is, what was all that talk for? Now, they clearly had hoped to gain things, but they, they didn't. Of course, Republicans are, are just tickled to death and can't believe they woke up to this um, on, on Wednesday morning or went to bed on Tuesday night uh, with this reality. I would say I would I would couch that a little bit differently and say that Democrats didn't gain anything that you could see necessarily on the scoreboard. Right. Uh, I do think that in this state, um, they did learn, though, to hit the ball better. They learned to catch the ball better. They learned to throw the ball better this time. They did have some fundamentals uh, that, that might help them going forward. They made some areas competitive that haven't been competitive. Uh, they got closer than they've gotten in some areas. I think that they can take that away from it, too. But, you know, in the end for the here and now, that doesn't really matter because you still look up at the scoreboard uh, and, and Democrats lost in Texas. Um, and and there is there has to be postmortems. There has to be reckoning coming out of something like this. I think for both parties, I mean, Republicans have some things that they can look at in this one and go, hmm, we're going to have to work on some things too. And I, I think that there's going to be some soul searching here from both parties because, you know, even if you won on the scoreboard, that doesn't mean you played your absolute best and that your opponent might not beat you the next time around. And if you lost on that scoreboard, you certainly need to figure out how to win. Yeah. And so in this podcast, we're going to talk to the right and the left uh, about that. But you're exactly right, Jason. For the here and now, the Democrats didn't gain anything. The Republicans are tickled to death. That didn't happen. And they're like, I told you so. But the Republicans need to be careful, because if you look at just the presidential race alone, Mm -hmm. um, Donald Trump four years ago won this state by 800,000 votes. Yeah. This year, he won by 600,000 votes. Yeah. So every year, that trend line for Republicans is kind of taking a nosedive. And for Democrats, it's slowly going up. Now, they haven't met in the middle yet to turn this into a blue state. But for people saying... People saying it's a it's a purple state. I'm not sure if I would say it's a purple state. I will say it's a competitive state. And when mm. you look at what happens in 2022, the race for 2022, which is underway as we speak, and the race for 2024, you're, I really think we will see a hell of a lot more commercials in this state. Yeah. You'll be getting more texts. Just when you candidates. thought you were done with all of that, it's going to start up again before you even know it. You're, you're, you're exactly right, man. It, it's Texas is now competitive. And, and the fact that... <laughs> That they couldn't call Texas until midnight or so on election night is just remarkable to me, something I've never seen. That right there, I mean, you know, sometimes it's the small victories. That right there uh, should at least give uh, some encouragement to Democrats who have uh, in this state long felt like 
they don't even have a chance when this state gets called right after the polls close over and over and over again. This time it was five long hours and more before they finally called it. So, uh, you know, there's the small victories for Democrats there. But in the end, uh, the big victory uh, goes to Republicans who maintain that trifecta that they have had in this state since uh, 2003. They've had this trifecta where they've taken the governorship the Senate uh, in the state and the House in this state where they've had all of them and they're going to have all three again going into a crucial year when, you know, the census is in and redistricting begins. So let's get to our guest right now, too, um, to talk about both of these things. So you and I have both been working the phones nonstop since all this happened, trying to get a gauge on on what in the world's happening out there in Texas politics. Um, I'll start with uh, the the first guest is a guy named Dave Carney. Dave Carney is, is well known in Texas political circles. He is the chief strategist, uh, you know, essentially, quote, I'd say not campaign manager, but but almost a campaign manager for uh, Texas Governor Greg Abbott. And after every election, uh, Dave Carney has had a breakfast with reporters to kind of explain, kind of, you know, pull the curtain back on what happened the previous night. Well, because of the pandemic, he didn't have a breakfast, but he had a conference call with us instead. So we got to ask Dave questions about exactly what happened this week. You know, basically, you know, this this is just an you know an indictment on how incompetent the Demo- Texas Democrats are. I mean, they're led around by Beto, who's you know clueless and you know has no sense or feel for people, talking about issues that are completely out of touch with what the vast majority of Texans agree agree with, and. Um, you know, they run these sort of uh, press-driven campaigns where this is the year. I mean, I, I've actually been doing races in, in Texas, you know, since 1993, K. Bailey Hutchinson's runoff against Bob Kruger. And, you know, every time there's an election, they have a fable that how they're going to win. And, uh, you know, and they cannot poll properly. They have no sense of what voters think. Even the voters they assume they own, like Hispanics, they're just, you know, out out of touch. And I, I don't know if it's an Austin bubble or it's this blue money bubble that they try to, cal- you know, uh, cultivate to, to invest money in Texas. But, you know, th- this whole idea that the more the more people who vote, they win. Well, I think last night proved that, you know, when you know over 11 million people vote, you know, they don't win. They actually lose worse. And the fact that, you know, the Republicans, you know, cleaned up in the valley in terms of not winning necessarily, well, won a number of counties. But the fact that, you know, the president got 22 percent, you know, in Webb County last year, he got 40 percent this year. He won Nueces County. I mean, you know, Star County. You look how well he did all, all along the border and, and in the metros with Hispanics. It, you know, it's it just everything the Democrats say we last night proved was not not true. And obviously they said they were going to win the Texas House and there was going to be a, a, a certainty, a deadlock since certainty, you know, a number of people running for speaker and on the Democratic side. And, uh, you know, they they uh, they defeated one incumbent and we picked up, defeated one of their incumbents. We still have, you know, one or two of our challengers that are in the hunt. Um, and so we actually may net one seat um, before this is over. So, you know, I, I you know, it's hard to put in perspective for for tv you know but you know they they just are incapable 
of understanding Texas, and they are wrong, and they're wrong always. And um, you know the fact that the president, uh, the uh, the vice president Biden, wasted that money here when he could have used it maybe in other places like Pennsylvania or uh, some of these other state, Arizona, to sort of lock these things up. You know, they just squandered more money. And um, that's you know I think the most important thing for you guys is try to answer your questions if I can. But that's my take on yeah. it. You know. Hey, hey, Dave, this is Jason Whiteley at WFAA. Uh, I always appreciate your insight, and thanks for making time for us. Uh, you're, you're a numbers guy, though, so let me dive into the numbers for a second here. You know, four years ago, Uh-oh. President Trump won by 800,000 votes. This year, it was 600,000 votes. The state is clearly changing, and it's tightening up. I'm, I'm just curious how that changes Republican, stra- Republican strategy, because obviously today the 2022 race begins, and 24 begins, right? Yep. Um, well, one one is you know uh, the the House Republicans got caught with their pants down in in eighteen. You know, um, a lot of Republicans just thought Cruz was going to win by the kind of margins the Cornyn won, and that was not the case. And they didn't run serious campaigns in the general election, and the Democrats did benefit from that. Um, but you know, you run good campaigns on the issues that the people in your you know, district in your county care about, you're going to be successful, particularly if it's not, if it's credible, right? You know, we were talking about bread and butter issues, healthcare, you know, property taxes, schools, uh, things like that. And they're all talking about all this national, trying to nationalize the race. And, uh, you know, we picked this up in the, in the, the, the gate special out in Fort Bend County uh, earlier this year where the Democrats nationalized the race. They brought in, you know, two million, a million, a million two of out-of-state money. And, you know, as you re- may recall, Beto was out there every day for 10 days sort of stomping all over uh, the Democrat um, in terms of getting any attention or oxygen for all the media. There were, and there were tons of media around the country there. Um, but, you know, they tr- tried to nationalize the race. And we found in that race that, um, you know, that Beto is a flawed messenger. And as you've seen in the public polls, some of you have even sponsored where he's the least uh, liked Texan to been polled this year. But that isn't the real problem. The real problem is their message. And, and everything they want to do is huge. You know, the new Green Deal. But look at the Democratic State Platform. talks about the new Green Deal, ending fracking. You know all this stuff, and you know well, not that everybody has a oil, you know, oil well in their backyard, or everybody works for the oil industry, but you know voters are pretty, <clears throat> pretty common sense that if you're going to do away with, um, you know, an industry that you know is well established, well integrated into the economy, um, you know, you're, you're going to have a it's going to be a tough sell. Uh, doing away with private health care. I mean, the Democrats seem to think that you know uh, we're an eighty percent of people who have private health care love their private insurance. And so, yes, there are people who have real problems and they don't like it, but and people who don't have health care need to be solutions with what the Republicans are working on. But their solution is to throw everything out and put in a national program. And those are the kinds of things that they, they just don't have issues. And so for us to be successful in the future, we need to continue about talk about issues that people in, 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 in Collin County or people in Williamson County care about. Democrats didn't gain, but they didn't backslide either. So they kind of came out kind of net zero on this. Uh, it, it, I don't see how that's necessarily great news for what's happening in two years or four years down the road. Well, they spent 
out of state, $30 million from out of state money for 18 months. Uh, Eric Holder and Beto O'Rourke and the Castro brothers and the Democratic establishment said they were going to win this seat. It was all about redistricting for congressional races. You know, you can, you know, I can show you the dozens of emails and the press releases that these people put out declaring that they were going to win. Um, they, you know, we, they have never had that kind of support in, uh, in the, in the house legislative race. There's the most money ever spent, uh, in the legislative fights from, uh, from out of state without a state investment. And the, you know, when you spend $30 million and you get zero for it, I, I think that that is an indictment. All right, Jason, remember this is a conference call. It's an on the record conference call. And I even told them we were going to record this for our Yolitics podcast. But the next question on the call for Dave Carney comes from a reporter named Tom Abrams from KTRK in Houston. Wondering what your, your thoughts about what role, uh, the coronavirus played in, in Democrats' decision not to door knock the way that Republicans were still engaging voters uh, through the pandemic. Right. I think it was uh, for tactically a crucial error on their part. You know, their hubris, they were virtual signaling. Oh, we're not going to, we're going to be safe and we're not going to infect you. We're not going to be super spreaders. We're not going to do door to door. We're not going to do, vol- you know, events. Implying, of course, the Republicans want you to get COVID and be super spreader. What the morons don't realize is that even if you ever went door to door, which I've done, I've done this year, I've done it in the past, you go and knock on the door, <clears throat> many times you know there's someone in the house because they turn down the TV volume or they're yelling at the dog to stop barking, but they don't come to the door. Why? They don't want to come to the door. They, they don't want to talk to you. They're busy. They're doing stuff. And this, this is what we found when we started going door to door this year. You know, obviously wearing a mask, obviously leaving the literature, knocking on the door, stepping back. And you know what? People who don't want to get, you know, are concerned about the virus, don't come to the door. And after a few minutes or, you know, a minute, you walk to the next door. People want to come to the door. We had we went from 10 percent to 30 percent on average of people wanting to t- go to the door. And the conversations, which are usually 35 or 40 seconds, were minutes long. It actually screwed up our planning because people were desperate to talk to somebody who wasn't the Amazon delivery guy or the, you know, the people they see all the time, they wanted to talk and it's voluntary. And so nobody who was afraid of getting COVID, nobody who had COVID, nobody who was, you know, uh, uh, super concerned, uh, went to the door and they missed that opportunity. And we had, you know, uh, involved and quite honestly, we, we trained uh, 7,200 volunteers to be involved in this race, just Abbott alone. And, you know, we found is that these people were looking for something to do. Like they are, they were sick of sitting in their house or, you know, maybe going to work or working from home and wanted an excuse to get out. So we, we found it to be a very helpful tool. And I think they, because in the last month they all started talking about it and trying to put it together. But, you know, block walking, you know, is a long-term game. You got to, you got to be out there with a lot of people for a long time in order to you know, make a difference. But yeah, it was, a, it was a stupid mistake on their part. What do you think this changes? What do you think the results last night change for Republicans when you look forward to 2022? What, 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 does your playbook change at all? Well, obviously there'll be different issues. You know, there'll be modification of the issues. We don't know what the landscape's going to be because we don't know who's going to be in the White House. If Biden is in the White House, it will be different than if the President uh, Trump 
stays in the White House. Uh, and also, you know, you you know, as much as you think you're smart and you know what's going to happen, it's very difficult to plan two years out. Okay, well, these are the three issues because, you know, two years out, we never would have thought the COVID was going to be a problem, and um, you know, that just was not a thing. You know, so um, you know, we're we're we are, I think. The party, you know, the the Republican legislators and the leaders around the uh, around the state and the counties are gonna, uh, you know, we're gonna continue to do this sort of joint effort where everybody's working together and that we're thinking about the general election and not just the primary. And I think that's really, you know, we we you know our modeling was right on the money. All of the uh, you know sort of sophistication that our statewide campaign has had you know, for the fact that we've won statewide in the state is because Texas, you have to do these things. And we did this, those exact same things. We modeled, built a model on every single target house district. So all the campaigns and the candidates knew exactly what they had to do to win. We knew during the early vote, you know, exactly where we were on the model. Um, and, uh, you know, that's, you know, that kind of cooperation, I think, would be, you know, really important in, in 22. All right. So uh, Dave Carney there speaking about uh, the Republican mindset here in Texas following what was a really good night for them uh, on Tuesday. Uh, You know, what struck me in that whole call there, Jason, was, um, I don't know, you know, maybe I'm uh, nostalgic for a a time when you used to hear, you know, post-election day, you would hear that the person who lost say, hey, you know what? I congratulate my opponent. They worked their tails off. They beat us this time. We'll come back next time. And those days when you used to hear the victor say, you know, uh, we're so thankful we pulled it off. We're looking forward to this period ahead. And, you know, our opponents put up a good match, but they just weren't enough for us. And uh, we are blazing a trail going forward, blah, 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 blah. He spent a lot of time just bashing Democrats in there. And I, listening to it, I thought, wow, uh, is the campaign over? Is the 2020 campaign over yet? It sounded like the 2020 campaign was still going in that conversation. Man, you won. Y'all won here in Texas. You know, celebrate it. What are we going to do going forward? Whatever. It just sounded like, man, he was taking the bat to Democrats there. And, you know, I'm not saying, though, that, I mean, he was highlighting true weaknesses in the Democratic Party's game this time around. But I just thought, man, this is just he is just going after him. I mean, at one point, what do you call them, morons or something? I mean, it was just it it was it was pretty raw. I I was a little surprised at at his uh, the whole conversation was on the record with reporters. I was a little surprised, though, at his tone. Uh, after that, he did say two things, kind of strategically speaking, I thought were interesting. He, uh, Dave Carney, the chief strategist there you just heard from uh, w- with Governor Greg Abbott, his longtime chief strategist, said that he thinks that Democrats messed up because they didn't go door to door knocking um, like the Republicans did. Democrats, of course, are being careful, say they were being careful because of the pandemic, didn't want to, uh, you know, get close to folks or have folks close to them, et cetera. Uh, Mm -hmm. But if you read between all the lines and all the rhetoric Dave was talking about, Dave did say something there at the very end uh, when I asked him, I said, so so what does all this change? What what changes? And he said, well, clearly it shows that uh, Republicans need to think about the general election Mm -hmm. rather than just the primary election. And just a a quick primer on that for for you guys, if, if you don't pay as much attention to it, historically, 
the kind of joke is in Texas, uh, if a Republican just wins the primary and beats another Republican, then they're set. You know, the primary happens in the spring uh, because saying that because uh, the Democratic candidates are usually pretty weak and they usually just steamroll right over them. Right. Well, Democrats showed this time, even though they didn't win, that they can certainly be competitive. They can raise money and they can get that money to fight with. So I think his point was now we have to start worrying about the Democrats, Jason. Yeah. So, you know, again, as we said, there's reckoning on both sides. Uh, even when you have a substantial victory like the Republicans did get in Texas this time uh, there, you, you have to think, OK, well, uh, that was great. How can we do even better the next time? So they're they're seeing, you know, that, hey, we've got to change our game a little bit, too, because the state is changing. Now let's talk about the Democrats, uh, because, the, you know, some would say <laughs> you, you could make the argument here. You know, I just talked about how Dave, man. He was going off on Democrats when you're the winner, man. It almost sounded like, you know, if I had tuned in midway through the call, I would think, did y'all lose? Uh, because you sound really you know, upset, but you won. Uh, it wasn't the most gracious winning phone call. But at the same time, you can make the argument that he might be talking trash like that because there was some talk, uh, some trash talking going into this. Democrats were feeling very confident uh, in this state. We're gonna we're gonna do this. This is our year. We're taking it down. Uh, we're going to take control of the Texas out. We really think we've got a chance this time. We're turning it blue. Blah blah blah. And none of that happened. And so you know maybe this is just that pendulum swinging back. Of boy, you talked a lot of smack going into this, and you did not produce. Right. So. Now that is the reckoning for Democrats in this state. What went wrong there? What, what, what things can be worked on? There are also some very bright spots for Democrats in this state from what we have seen in the numbers that came out and the places where they were competitive. There are definitely some areas they need to work on, and that is something that they're thinking about right now. Before they can get there, though, uh, I think just like everybody, they are fixated on what's happening nationally. Everybody's looking at these states that still are counting, and they are doing that as well. Uh, So I think that introspection is probably going to wait a few days, but we got some good nuggets here uh, from Dr. Carla Braley, Jason, uh, with uh, Texas Southern University and the University of Houston. She also happens to be the vice chair of the Texas Democratic Party. And, you know, she realizes, you know, that there's uh, some good for Democrats in this and there's a lot of stuff that needs to be worked on. Give me your thoughts right now. Uh, where do we stand right now? And uh, I mean, you're you know, we talked about this. You're actually hearing from uh, students uh, who are asking you for answers. Yeah, I think where we we're, we are in a place that we have to be very patient. Uh, some will say that we have to stand on faith uh, mm. right now. I really believe that um, Biden is going to pull it out. Um, I think that what we're seeing is the process of all of this. Um, We already knew that it could be potentially backlash or um, some contestant races. Uh, We knew just how 2020 alone has been going, but really the entire term, uh, we knew that, you know, this would not be a, a, a easy win um, and it would not be easily acceptable by the other side. And uh, what we're seeing is that, you know, that our system is, is, is in place to do what it has been trained and expected to do. 
And uh, as we were talking, <laughs> Jason, <laughs> the re re reality is, you know, we're being tested. 2020 has tested our ability to be virtuous all around. Um, and so in this election, it's, 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 not, a, it's not different. And so, it's but I really believe we're going to pull this one out. I think it's and 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 you were uh, we had talked earlier and and you were saying you had a, a student text you and basically say uh, okay come on Dr. Braley when does this end when's this going to be yes. over as though you have that answer in your hand yes and you know students uh, you know for students who admire their professors they really expect their professors really to almost know it all you have to tell them all year long I really don't know it all but what I do know. Um, and what I do know is that we stand on a pretty solid um, uh, system um, dealing with this, and we just have never seen anything like this, but the system is supposed to be in place to be able to control from moments like this. And so we're just going to have faith in this system that, it, that you know, the right thing will unveil for this country. I, I really believe that um, it should not be this tight, and I'm sure we're going to talk about that. Um, on this uh, uh, call, interview, whatever we call it, Zoom now. Um, <laughs> but yeah, you know, we're in, a, we're in a special place. And I think that it's, it's challenging us all around to be kinder to one another and to have greater expectations of, of experiencing democracy in our country. So as that vote count continues here, you mentioned, you touched on this, that it shouldn't be this close. What did you mean by that? You know, I would just think with, there's so many things that we can point to along these four years. But as a mother, when I just think about that there are children still caged um, and it's happening in our country. Um, when I think about some of the racist moments um, this country has experienced in 2020, when I think about literally, I believe our lives depended on this vote. Um, when I think about politics that were played with people's lives in this pandemic, when I think about the epidemic um, of racism, of oppression that's been highlighted as a result of the pandemic, not to say that it didn't already exist, but it's been mm -hmm. highlighted. So many things point to that we are a better nation. We are better people. Uh, we require uh, excellence in our leadership. And I, I I'm just totally baffled that we are still here. I think this election lets us know that we have a lot of work to do. And it's, it's beyond voting, it's beyond counting votes. We have to count people in, we have to meet people where they are. We have to learn how to embrace one another. And I just you know, do not believe that humanity across the board has been embraced in the last four years. And I just, it's just baffling to to know where we really are, and that's what this election has done. It's it's pulled the veil um, of systemic issues that we have to face, we have to confront, and we have to champion those causes so that we really can fulfill democracy in our nation. As we're waiting, though, let's also talk about the um, the Hispanic vote, the Latino vote. Uh, because uh, Joe Biden um, underperformed uh, in Miami-Dade County in particular in Florida. That uh, may have cost him Florida there. Uh, but also in Texas, uh, usually we see such a strong 
uh, Hispanic vote, Latino vote in favor of the Democratic candidate uh, for president down in the Rio Grande Valley. It's usually just a, a sea of blue down there in the tip. Uh, this time around, we actually saw uh, President Trump flip some of those counties to red uh, down along the border. Uh, and even the counties where Joe Biden won um, down there, I mean, the, the percentages were way off from what Hillary Clinton got just four years ago. Is this one of the reckonings that you think the party is going to have to address and figure out if Democrats want to try to win in places like Texas uh, and in other places across the country? Are they going to have to find a way? Uh, because Democrats, I think, have gotten better at speaking to different constituencies, uh, some of their constituencies. But obviously, the message isn't getting through uh, to, to Hispanics, at least not in Texas, especially along the Rio Grande Valley. Now, you know, I, I love talking to you. You know, that was a very long uh, question. And, and That's the and kind summary. of questions I always <laughs> ask. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm going to follow along. But, you know, the reality is we still have work to do. Um, messaging, uh, resources, how we uh, distribute those resources. Texas is a battleground state. I think we all know it's, you know, while we've been saying it in Texas a long time, I think I think the show, the show out and show up um, at the polls this time around, definitely um, validated that. And what that means also is that I think we'll see more resources um, that are going to reach various communities, even out of season, because the work really happens out of campaign season. Hmm. You, you know, and on top of that, you have to message in a way that meet, that meet people in a way that it deals with their issues and their fears. And so we know that on one side, you know, um, people are, you know, are almost fearful of their lives. They're they're not hearing, um, you know, um, factual evidence um, in some cases. And so, you know, I always say that if you believe you have an institutional model that does not need to improve, then you're not very aware of your surroundings, um, of your mm -hmm. institution. And so I think as Democrats, uh, the truth is we are still learning and accepting what we have to do while we stand on that we're the party of the people and we are a party that embraces difference. Um, we're still learning how that looks. And that means internally we have to be different and look different as well. Um, and so, you know, just the notion of uh, developing me uh, messaging year round um, in Spanish that's bilingual um, in terms of staffing, um, in terms of relationships with, you know, faith based leaders in those communities that, that are doing this, regardless of voting. A lot of the grassroots leaders, they're there helping some people, you know, whether it's understanding um, education in terms of that system getting there or whether it's getting them the needs and necessities that they need throughout the year for a loss of employment, they're there on the ground. And mm -hmm. that's what we have to be. We have to be there on the ground. So that let us know that we're going to have to do some more work in that area. That the relationship has to be established right. long before you ask people to go Absolutely. past the ballot. Whenever um, I, I'm working with candidates, I say, look, if you want to win an election, you have to be on the ground. And people have to be able to feel your authenticity, at least feel it. Um, even if we're struggling to be that, um, but they have to feel that. And, I, you know, we have work to do. We have work to do in Texas and in the uh, nation. 
So uh, uh, there was a lot of talk before this uh, election that this was going to be the year, uh, and we've heard that before, but Democrats really believed this is the year we are finally going to paint this state blue, uh, and, and, and this is our best shot. We're going to take over the U.S., I mean, the, the Texas House once again, and we're, we're going to vote uh, Democrat for president in this state this time, uh, and they fell short. Uh, is that a failure or do you see a lot of progress here for Democrats in Texas? No, 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 no. We definitely have progressed in Texas. Um, when you look around even locally at some of the uh, diversity that we see um, in terms of the election outcome across the state, you know, I, I always tell everyone that you win this state locally, block by block, precinct by precinct, county by county. Texas is huge. Uh, many people outside of Texas are afraid to even come here because they don't know what to do. We're like five states in one, You're and right. we're not a, and we're not monolithic as Texans, by the way. Um, mm -hmm. So it, it's it's very challenging for pollsters. They have not gotten it right either. Um, mm -hmm. We're going to have to look at some modeling and how we determine, um, you know, uh, terms of how uh, what determine our targets. Uh, you know, no, we we have progressed. I mean, we got it down to what five or six points in, in the state of Texas. We are certainly purple. We're not this red state that everyone has talked about for years. Mm -hmm. um, and I've been saying that we've really never been a red state. We've been a non-voting state and people are awake. I was so proud. Um, I did not get to go around the state like I would normally attempt to do um, in terms of physically this this season and um went to a poll on election day. And while we had polls that people, you know, were there, you know, with beverages and snacks and food, a lot of that was organized by your civic clubs. But this poll, it was organized by everyday people who were just awake. And I heard them telling, telling people, hey, you know, you have to vote. And even if we don't change uh, Texas to blue this time around. This election is going to get us that much closer. This is this is people messaging, not politicals, um, not you know, not those who are you know really following the numbers, elected officials, and you know the civic leaders. These are everyday people, and so people are awake in Texas in a way that they have not been in the past. And I I I believe that this election is going to take us even closer to becoming the blue state. And I, you know, I, I've said it before, it's really not just about blue and red. It really is positioning ourselves that we can really meet people where they are, that we can provide opportunities for Americans to have a fair shot and have a higher quality of life. And that's really what it's about. And so that's why we have to move the state forward because that's Let's not what we want. Let's talk a little bit about some of that progress that Democrats have made in Texas. Uh, you know, Trump supporters will say, look at our guy. Uh, he got more than a million more votes in this state than he got in 2016. But then if you look at that difference between the two candidates here this time, because we had record turnout, we had record turnout in this state. And that difference separating these two candidates is the slimmest margin we have seen in a presidential election in Texas in more than two decades. So right. that margin has really closed down. Yes, it's a big margin still in the 600,000s there, but that is way lower than what we have seen in other past uh, presidential elections here in, in, in recent decades. So Democrats can feel better about that, that they're closing that gap there and where they're doing it 
is in the urban areas and in the suburbs. Uh, this time around, you know, we saw the usual uh, little islands of blue there in the sea of red in Texas for like Harris County, Dallas County, uh, Travis County, Bear County. But we also saw, you know, south of Austin, Hayes County light up blue. Mm -hmm. We saw north of Austin, Williamson County light up That's blue. Right. Yes. And of course, we saw Fort Bend County to the southwest mm -hmm. of Houston light up blue this time around. And if you look at what Biden did compared to Hillary Clinton four years ago, he almost doubled the margin of victory uh, in those counties, in those urban and suburban counties from what she got the last time around. So you see this extraordinary performance in a four year period here uh, for a, a Democratic candidate in these urban and suburban areas. So now what? What do you do? Do you try to increase that even more or do you try to reach out rural? Because that's yes. where that's getting eroded. Well, I think you identify models that work, people that work, um, and you make sure those stories are told. You make sure you do um, the, the party has to be a convener of that. And we have to partner with rural areas. We have to be able to realize that while digital game is great, you know, the, the, your ability to reach people digitally is, is something that we would have never imagined, you know, 30 years ago in an election. Uh, but for our rural areas, uh, COVID was an issue, but we, you know, we really have to do the face-to-face. -face. We have to be there, as I said before, even when political season is not <laughs> quite there. Um, we, you know, and we cannot be afraid. And I still believe that in those areas, some of them are still afraid. And voter suppression still is an issue um, in Texas, particularly in some of the rural areas. You cannot deny what's happening, you know, still happening in Walla County. We've been knowing that for years. Um, and again, the level of constituency uh, coordinators uh, uh, or in engagement that they were able to do, I think still was somewhat limited uh, to digital, lots of Zooming. And so I believe that uh, COVID is going to go away. We're going to all claim that for mm -hmm. the sake of all of us. Um, and I think that, you know, we will be able to do far more face to face. But we, we definitely have to go in the rural counties. We cannot be afraid. And we're going to have to be very strategic on how we reach those counties, whether we have, you know, um, urban counties to adopt some of the rural counties. I mean, there is a lot of strategy that can go into how do we do this. Uh, but the other thing that I want to highlight is, you know, again, we win this state locally. And what you're seeing that while we didn't go blue, we didn't have this big blue wave in Texas, we had some waves throughout Texas. And people will be able to see the impact of that change in leadership, you know, how that's impacting their livelihood. And then that's going to, I think, also um, impact how they vote in, in these federal, you know, national ele elections. Um, I, I want to ask this because we spoke with um, a Republican strategist uh, here following the election and uh, it, it wasn't the most uh, gracious uh, call that they gave after they've had uh, they had a good night here in Texas. Uh, they, they railed on Democrats in that call and, uh, you know, crowed about their wins. Uh, and, and one of the things that they said about Democrats was that Democrats uh, you know, thought they could believe the numbers they were seeing. You, you touched on this with polling. 
that polling is going to have to get better. But they just went on and on about how Democrats blew it in parts of the state by not going and knocking on doors. Of course, we're in the middle of a pandemic here. Uh, and, and that was a conscious decision in a lot of cases to not you know, put that ground game out there as you normally would in an election cycle. But they said that is what they thought made the difference for them in some parts of the state, that they were still going to the doors and knocking on doors and in a lot of cases talking to people through the door uh, since, you know, people weren't comfortable opening the door. Is does the party need to, first of all, look at the the, the whole polling issue? I mean, gosh, that's a podcast in itself or, or maybe yes. several. Um, but what about that ground game really getting out there? You kind of touched on this a few times about that relationship, that face to face. Well, I'm one I'm known for. You have to ask for the vote and people have to know that you're asking them for the vote. So that's why you can never deny the ground game. It's just it is what it is. It has worked um, and we've seen it work in thousands of elections and did it play a role in this? Could, uh, could have. I don't. I don't think any of us can um, exclude it as a factor, as an indicator of the outcome of the election. But I do think that people's lives matter, and I think that it was a very conscious effort uh, to do um, to do it in a way that we did. But you know, the reality is, and we've said this already today too, that I think we underestimated. Um, uh, what we are facing in our nation in terms of systemic racism, systemic oppression. Um, and I think, you know, when you're, when you're strategizing and you're looking at voters, you know, people, a voter get a number and, you know, all of the things that go into trying to identify, you know, how a voter is going to vote. And I think we underestimated um, how people really felt and perceived the leadership of, uh, of this current president. Um, while I uh, feel like it's been one of the um, worst uh, uh, leadership regimes that we've been under um, in the United States, um, some others did not feel that way. And, um, and I think that you, you wouldn't know that until you see the election outcomes. And so I think, I think we uh, underestimated uh, where people uh, views are and their ideology of, of leadership and democracy in America, too. Well, now that uh, that temperature has been taken here in 2020, though, uh, it, I imagine it gives uh, both parties really a lot of data to work with going forward and uh, some new uh, things on the to-do list uh, for next time. And I'm just curious, for 2022, I mean, boy, that's right around the corner. It's going to feel like it's tomorrow. Uh, how much preparation is already underway for some of these state races here in Texas mm -hmm. that are very important uh, for both parties? Uh, it's important for Republicans to try to hold on, important for Democrats to erode away Republican control in this state. How much activity is there already getting ready for 2022 from what you see? Well, you know, um, I can't say I've seen a lot of activity, but there is activity. I mean, people are mourning people. Some people are happy, uh, but we know that we, you know, you exhale for a couple hours and you have to keep it moving. As you know, uh, redistricting is extremely important. Um, and the reality is, I think what both sides see that you cannot go without talking to uh, minorities, um, whether you're polling them, 
whether you are including them on strategy in terms of um, engagement, uh, both sides have to figure out how do we bring everyone to the table. And I'm not sure what the other side is gonna do, but I know as a Democrat, as a vice chair of the Texas Democratic Party, uh, I am gonna ex place extreme emphasis on what it means to uh, have a strong constituency base um, and not just on the side of those who are voting, but to make sure staffers um, are um, aware of uh, various cultures um, and staffers are, are among um, various cultures. So I think you've got, we, we, we have to diversify all around um, so that we can get it. People, you know, you, know um, you, you almost have to know, to meet people where they are, you have to have an idea of where they are, or at least be open to know that where they are may be different from where you are and what they need may be different from what you need. And we have to be open um, to that. And so again, we just can't deny that in Texas, we have had some progress in this election. It was not what we expected. It was not what I stated on some of the Zoom calls that we are, you know, we are going blue, but I think some of that was dealing with polling and and how we identified different voters and um, and how some were just not included in the polling and yeah. in posters. It's just a different day. You know, it really, really is. And I think we're going to that's going to require us to do some different things as well. Well, as you said, some 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 Democrats are disappointed. Some are still in 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 mourning uh, because of the the missed opportunities in this state. But there are also plenty of Democrats who are thrilled with the turnout that they've seen. They're thrilled with the gains that they've seen in especially the large population centers in Texas. And I think a, a fair number of them are uh, almost reluctantly thrilled right now as they watch the uh, oh, yes. outcome of the presidential election nationwide. And they're just hoping uh, that uh, Joe Biden can get over that hump here in this day or the next day uh, and, and, and feeling more positive about that. My last question before we go, where do you stand right now? How do you feel? What are your emotions at this point here in 2020 following the election? If you had to just sum up your perspective and and what would you say to other Democrats out there? Uh, wow, what a convoluted question. And I say that because I, whatever emotion you could probably feel, I feel. Um, I'm happy about some of the gains that we've made locally. Um, I'm happy that, I mean, for the first time in I think 150 years and uh, Fort Bend, they have a black sheriff. Mm. Um, it lets us know that, you know, some people really, um, embrace um, uh, everyone across the board in terms of those who can have the ability and capacity to lead. Uh, we have a, a Christian Menifee, uh, who is becoming the first African-American uh, male uh, attorney. Uh, Chris Hollins, what he was able to do mm. in Harris this County. This is the elections administrator. That is the there. clerk. Yes, Harris County clerk. I think that he has uh, created a model uh, that will be used across this nation. So we have so much to brag about um, and so much to boast about. Uh, but the reality is, um, I, you know, I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm saddened by where we are still in this nation in terms of, you know, um, systemic racism and oppression. I mean, it is very real. 
And we really have to deal with that because all across um, uh, American, uh, Washington, but everybody lives in um, here is dealing with healthcare, issues of education. It should not matter. Your zip code really shouldn't matter what type of education you get. Mm. Uh, your skin color should not determine uh, what type of healthcare um, you, you receive um, and the access you have to it. And what we've seen in these last four years and what we've seen um, in counting the votes, it says that this has not upset certain people. This has not been a determining factor of standing on what our country was founded on. And that is democracy for all. And so we have a ways to go. Um, I challenge even you know, our, you know, our media sources to keep this dialogue going because we all have a role to play in humanity reaching its fullest potential. And I think this election has really lifted a veil to say that we are, you know, we have not overcome. Uh, we have progressed, but we have not overcome. And so, you know, a lot of emotions are here. Um, it's very hopeful um, and glad that I can be um, at a lot of the tables, a lot of the rooms. Um, as a sociologist, I understand this. As a political, I understand a lot of it. And just happy, you know, that I can be a resource and a source um, for so many. Uh, but right now, I have a little girl who's 11 years old, mm. who, you know, she was birthed out of the Obama experience, um, old enough to understand uh, this president, um, you know, and his regime uh, and the impact that that's had on our nation. And then she's going to see that our nation said, not today, not another day. We're going to have different leadership. And we're going to that's going to include uh, a black woman who is from my, you know, uh, 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 school, Howard University. Mm -hmm. uh, and my daughter is going to see that um, the experience of Kamala may not shatter the glass ceiling, because I think that's saying a bit much. We will still have a long way to go, but it will break the glass ceiling. And my daughter, who was birthed out of Obama experience, being able to uh, view uh, the experience that the president has, has given to all of us. Um, and then we'll be able to see Biden and Kamala. And that's, that's something to be quite hopeful for. And we still await those results. I'm so glad that here at the end, you've uh, invoked your 11 year old daughter because uh, what an extraordinary time for her to be alive and, and, and understanding what's going on here. Uh, I told both of my daughters, your grandkids, your great grandkids may ask you, about this election and oh my god you were alive back then you saw you you were there what was that like this is I, and i try to impress upon them the history of this don't don't overlook the history of of this election right now just with all that's going on this will be talked about for generations absolutely this will make the history books but if it doesn't gen z will be here to tell that story i think it's going to make their future books. Yeah. Yeah. Dr. Braley, thank you for so, so much for taking the time with us. And uh, like I said, we'll we'll be talking uh, hot and heavy about 2022 before we even know it. Blink your eye a few times with a couple know. of those exhales that you were talking about because it's coming fast. Yeah. And keep inviting me. You know, I always like to uh, have these type of conversations uh, with you all. You all keep doing what you do. Um, you cover um, a lot of the issues, a lot of the news very well. 
and just delighted that I can, you know, share share this moment uh, with you all. You know, people don't like it sometimes when they hear a perspective that doesn't agree with theirs, but we try to put on the whole spectrum of perspectives here because, you know, that's what a democracy is all about, is everybody having a voice, but also everybody having a set of ears and being able to be civil and listen to what other people have to say, even if it doesn't comport with what you think. It, it makes everybody smarter. Absolutely. We're land of choice and opportunity. So uh, a lot of takeaways uh, for Democrats uh, following, you know, what was a a rough night for them here in Texas, but uh, they're hoping what was a fantastic night nationally. Uh, And again, there are some some areas where uh, they feel good about uh, their showing here in Texas and some of the trends and, and, and they just got some things to sharpen up. We'll see if they can sharpen those things up in time for 2022, which is just around the corner. But interesting thing that she was talking about there related to her daughter, Jason, is that, you know, uh, we got another generation here. We got a lot of first time voters this time around. We got a lot of engaged young people. And she says, you know, the next generation, they're they're ready to jump into this as well. Yeah. And and they will be key to whether the Texas Democratic Party grows Mm -hmm. or uh, or what happens. Of course, the Republican Party of Texas uh, did well, like down in the Rio Grande Valley. Uh, Joe mm-hmm. Biden. Joe Biden didn't get as many votes down there. I, I don't want to make excuses for Democrats because Democrats certainly, you know, uh, talked a, a lot about what they were going to do that ended they up not happening. But I will say, you know, you know this as well, Jason. Texas Democrats don't have any type of an organization. They're building it, but nothing like what uh, the Republican Party of Texas has. Well, they were hiring a lot of people this time around, though, they Democrats were. were, and they were thrilled about that and and, and really staffing up those offices. Um, so much of this becomes, you know, it's like any sport that you play. It's muscle memory. And, uh, you know, if you took that, uh, you know, if, if you change your backhand swing to make it a lot better in tennis, for example, yeah, you might still lose that first match or two because it's not quite there yet. But as you go out there and hit against that backboard, uh, for you know, day after day, and keep practicing it, you get that muscle memory. So maybe you know, now that they've staffed up and they've fielded candidates in places where they didn't field candidates before, and they fell short in that match, you've got a couple of years to go and hit against that uh, that backboard, and see if perhaps by the time you have your next match in 2020, you're nailing that backhand across that net. Yeah, the uh, tennis analogy is impressive there, but I'm a little disappointed you didn't seize on the rollerblading analogy. You know, there has to be some type of rollerblading analogy you could use, man. I have varied interests, uh, and I say interests because I'm not great at any of them. But uh, yeah, various metaphors that can be pulled out, and, and, and it'll sound like I'm this incredible athlete where I am not. The Renaissance man he is. All right, guys, yes. uh, th- thanks for listening to this uh, this episode of Yalitics, a special episode. We thought we had to at least share... Um, some of the conversation about what people are talking about in Texas, how Democrats talk so much and, and didn't make any of it a reality. So, And it, thanks for the patience, by the way, in these days when we've had to all be so patient. Because, Jason, I think that we said that we're going to put out an episode on Tuesday night, early Wednesday morning. First thing. Well, that didn't happen because, you know, frankly, Whiteley just, you know, didn't show up. No, it didn't happen because everything's been so up in the air. And we thought, you know, what's the point in talking right now with things changing so fast? But here we are. We're finally getting on the boards with this. And uh, we'll have another episode, as usual, 
coming up on our usual day, which is next Tuesday. Hopefully by then we've got more answers. Y'all have a good week.